0: and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast on sustainability and innovation in business and economy. A safe, friendly and nice place to learn more about sustainability across industries. My name is Anna, I'm the usual podcast host of this show. Every week I invite one professional in the field to share ideas on sustainability in certain spheres, shed light on different concepts and give some guidance, if possible, On how to actually implement sustainability. This is episode number 27, season 3, and I'm releasing this episode on the 2nd of April, which means I have been quarantined for two and a half weeks now and many of my listeners from Italy, Spain, Germany, France are in lockdown since way earlier than that, for more or less a month now. So I decided today would take an unusual and somewhat Controversial topic that I know literally nothing about cannabis and the sustainability efforts of this industry. To help me understand this field, I invited a super professional, Gretchen Schimmelfenig, from Resource Innovation Institute, located in Portland, Oregon, in the US. Uh, The discussion we are having soon will be US-focused. The situation in other countries almost certainly will differ. Uh, But before I connect with Gretchen, I'd like to give a bit of a pre-story. So, cannabis was strictly prohibited across the US after becoming federally illegal in uh, 1937. Cannabis cultivators preferred to go where they could to grow in peace, out of sight of the government and law enforcement. For many, this meant remote patches of wilderness or early iterations of indoor growth. If discovered, law enforcement often physically uprooted the plants or sprayed it with 2,4-D, a popular weed killer. The cannabis black market exploded in the 1980s and clandestine growers thought ways to boost their yields while remaining hidden from prying eyes. By the mid-1980s, an estimated 300 million to 400 uh, million uh, US dollars worth of cannabis were grown annually in the Emerald Triangle of Northern California, according to American Weed, a history of cannabis cultivation in the United States by author and historian Nick Johnson. Cultivators who decided to move indoors ran hot energy intensive lights and environmental controls 24 7 to support the cannabis life cycle outdoors trespass growers so to say often employed environmentally destructive methods including spraying abundant pesticides including those that are banned by the environmental protection agency such as carbofuran that seep into the soil and waterways, affecting entire ecosystems for generations, and fertilizers, diverting streams to irrigate their crops and discarding trash at growth sites. The re-legalization of cannabis was a turning point for the industry. Today, cannabis use is legal in 33 states for medical purposes, and 11 of those states have passed adult use laws. Legalization not only allowed modern growers to access better tools and resources, but it also pushed for innovation. As with any industry, cannabis businesses came um, under public scrutiny, and what many realized was the cannabis wasn't so green after all. Uh, Twenty. A 2012 study by energy scientist Evan Mills indicated that legal indoor cannabis grows in California consumed 3% of the state's total electricity, equivalent to 1 million homes. Concerned by the industry's rampant um, gasling of resources and listening to the growing consumer demand, many cannabis businesses began employing more environmentally conscious practices to cut down on carbon emissions and waste. And this is where Resource Innovation Institute steps in. This institution focuses on intelligence, policy, and education to advance resource efficiency to create a better, environmentally sound, and sustainable cannabis future. Okay, now I think we are ready to welcome Gretchen and have a fruitful discussion with her on to find out more about sustainable uh, cannabis practice in the US. Hi everyone and hi Gretchen. So my guest today for this episode that we need so much during the times of coronavirus crisis is Gretchen Shimelfenic from the Resource Innovation Institute and today we're talking about cannabis. Gretchen, could you please introduce yourself a little bit more and the Resource Innovation Institute that you are working
1: at? Um, so my name is Gretchen Schimmelfenig. I'm an engineer by background. So I have a passion for energy efficiency and resource conservation in buildings specifically and got into cannabis and specifically buildings that are used to cultivate cannabis a couple of years ago and found out about this really cool nonprofit Called the Resource Innovation Institute, that was working to establish best practices and gather more data on the energy and other resource impacts of cannabis so that we can understand how sustainable is a product versus another product, just like we can compare things on the market today. Cannabis has a really storied past in the US, and then every other country has their own story with cannabis too. Some of them have only recently legalized, and I can't speak uh, all the other countries that have started to legalize, but for example, Canada just recently legalized as a whole country. The U.S. has been really unique for a while because we've been doing it state by state. And so some states have had legalized what's called um, medical cannabis, so supporting the non-psychoactive side of cannabis, treating people with pain, uh, painful conditions and helping them manage their um, issues. Those have existed since in some states um, the early 2000s. And so those markets have been established for a while, but they've been small. And in certain states, they've been big, like in California, but not big enough to raise the um, interests of certain sustainability thought organizations. For example, cannabis has been like a lot of people call it the wild west for a while, where um, people have been building facilities to grow it. People have been making businesses to make money on it, but they haven't had Um, to your future questions that we're going to talk about on the podcast, there haven't been much standards or guidelines or um, suggestions on how to make it a sustainable product. And um, and the market is changing all the time. So new states are coming online and some of those states have never, to your point, touched the cannabis plant. And then they are trying to make regulations to address the industry. So it's (laughs) a very interesting time
0: yeah i can't say
1: um i don't have that off the top of my head how many states are legal, but we have um, I think one in four people in America and then in, in the United States of America live on in an area that is in legalized cannabis, so that kind of tells you our population centers have legalized cannabis, and some areas in the middle of the country have it
0: uh, the the industry of cannabis do the does it try to introduce any sustainability um practices Uh, because i've been reading articles about um, efforts to reduce carbon footprint do you know anything about that
1: sure so there's there's practices that are voluntary so things that people want to do and are encouraged to do perhaps with financial incentives which i can talk about a little more and then there's things that people are being forced to do by regulation and code you know energy codes building codes um, safety codes, things that people have to do. So there are some things that people are doing voluntarily. For example, there are a lot of folks that I talk to that have been cultivating for decades that are very um, passionate about um, carbon sequestration in their soil and using regenerative soil practices, um, perhaps avoiding using chemical fertilizers. So some of those folks have been very concerned about what's good for the plant and trying to make it so that the plant is growing in the most sustainable environment uh, in its root system. However, they've been growing them in these buildings that have been relatively inefficient. And so energy efficiency related to the lighting systems to grow cannabis and um, the buildings that serve these grow houses, that's a more recent thing. Now that folks are seeing how the facilities are impacting the electric grid, how much energy they need, um, now people are being like, oh, hey, we should think about energy efficiency not just in... Um, being good to the plant but think about being good to the whole environment um, some other things that folks have done voluntarily because they've needed to is water reclamation so not just being wasteful with the amount of water that they use if they live in a, a drought stricken region um, but that has led to unsustainable activities like um, using water that they don't own so illicit cannabis cultivation has has previously had some issues with water being taken from places and kind of being uh, out in the middle of folks farms discovering cannabis grows. Um, Now, now that people are growing inside, they are recognizing, okay, this is my water that I need to be conscious about the amount of use that I use. So some people are voluntarily doing that because they have to pay for it now. And uh, some other things that people have been doing are um, thinking about material sourcing and how much waste they generate. So those are some other sustainable aspects of cannabis industry, businesses, whether they cultivate cannabis or whether they're perhaps making packaging for cannabis products or using cannabis as an alternative material for fabrics or for building materials. That
0: leads me to my next question. Except
1: for the medical use, where else cannabis can be used? Some folks find it in the grocery aisle nowadays. You know, you're seeing it being um, incorporated into food and beverages um, you're seeing it um, included in cosmetics like moisturizers, topical products that are good for the skin. It's an oil. So it's been used um, for oil as a lubricant as well in non-topical, non-human based stuff. Uh, I think that it's been interesting to see the use of it in construction. I'd love to see that become a bigger part of it. Like, um, I think one of the articles we exchanged before we talked was about was talking about hemp concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, concrete's been a very carbon-intensive material for a long time, um, and then hemp hemp fibers for fashion, as well as hemp fibers for things like rope and construction materials. It could be interesting to see where that goes. I think that um, one of the biggest things for us in in the U.S. was the Farm Bill that made hemp a crop instead of just instead of being considered part of the cannabis plant that is. A uh, illicit substance, you know, and a, a drug. It's now being able to be grown by farmers, and so I think we'll see a lot more diverse products out in the industry as people are allowed to grow it more freely.
0: I'm curious. Now, earlier you talked about the uh, the energy input and the water that is uh, that needs to be consumed to grow hemp. That's another name of the cannabis, is the biological name, right? And hemp is the more widespread.
1: Um, great. I'm glad you brought it up. Cannabis is the scientific term, just like uh, every, there's a scientific name for every plant. Um, it's like the botanical name. Uh, a mm-hmm. botanist would call it cannabis sativa. Um, hemp is used to describe a type of cannabis, sort of like a family of cannabis that happens to have a very low THC content, um, which means that it isn't psychoactive. THC is one of the cannabinoids um, mm-hmm. that gets you high. CBD is a is a cannabinoid that has more to do with um, body high that allows for pain management. So that's why you don't get head high when you have CBD THC high content anyway. Um, <laughs> so, but note that there's more than a hundred cannabinoids. So we have names for those. There's there's names for others as well. And so um, it's a really fuzzy area. People call it marijuana due to decades long. Um, Sort of stigma campaign against the plant, and so that's why I avoid using the word marijuana. It's not necessarily a bad word for every community, but I use the word cannabis. And it's sort of like if this is if, this is, if there's a, a big circle for cannabis, hemp is inside that circle. All hemp is cannabis, but not all cannabis is hemp.
0: And when I want to address the the material that doesn't. Again, it's a question. Uh, The material that I want to, the cannabis that I want to use for, um, to make a textile material, Mm -hmm. to make a clothes that is supposedly more, that is organic, that is more uh, environmentally friendly nowadays, um, used as an alternative uh, source of fabric. Do I address it as hemp?
1: Yeah, it it is hemp because um, it's not, going to they're not going to have grown the thc type of cannabis to make fabric because that type of plant the one that has that higher cannabinoid that gets you high it's also not as good for fiber because it's it's not as a uh, um coarse, you know what i'm saying like the mm-hmm. type that's good for hemp fiber has really strong trunks and branches and stuff it's sort of like dogs that are bred for different things
0: yeah okay <laughs> so Now that I've learned that um, growing cannabis requires a lot of energy and a lot of water, is it even is it even worse talking about this type of material in fashion uh, as opposed to cotton that is also very uh, at least water consuming? Do you think this can like hemp can become uh, a material, like clothing material of the
1: future? I think that uh, to answer that question, we need more data. And for cannabis, because of its um, historically criminal past, we don't have as much data as we might like to justify um, and qual- like quantitatively answer your question. So what we need to know is the life cycle energy and water use of cotton and other preferred um, materials that we use for clothing, comparing that to hemp. But the problem is, when you make that comparison, how do you how do you compare the hemp part? So is it hemp grown outdoors? Is it hemp grown in a greenhouse? Um, <laughs> and then if it's grown outdoors, what are the different approaches that were taken to cultivate it? Um, yeah. There are lots of different uh, parameters that could change even in uh, five different outdoor grows that would make their energy impacts and water impacts all very different because of the uh, approach that the grower chose to take. So um, so the answer to your question is, I'm not sure. Um, I would like to think that with certain energy efficient and kind of sustainable approaches, that hemp could be more energy and water efficient than cotton or other materials. But that's also to say that it really depends on how you grow it.
0: Right, and the life cycle assessment is a tough science to crack
1: especially when we've been forbidden to research the product uh, and all of its supply chain for so long. And so what we're trying to do with the Resource Innovation Institute is take that first crack at understanding the energy and water and waste impacts of real cultivators in the United States of America and hopefully in the future globally. Because Mm -hmm. just like we were able to over time understand how much energy and water does a typical, for example, office building use because we had enough data of enough office buildings to put on the map and find out the average. That's what we need with cannabis.
0: Does any sort of certification exist to put the cannabis in food or to, to make a building material out of, of it? Um, are there any regulations to comply with?
1: So, um, like I mentioned earlier, it still feels like the Wild West out out there in, in, I'm speaking for the United States of America and maybe globally, a lot of the regulations, standards and certification systems that exist in many countries for many different types of industries don't yet exist for cannabis because it's either so newly regulated that literally governments have no clue what to do. They, they know how to regulate agricultural businesses and they know how to regulate industrial businesses but they're not really quite sure how to regulate this agricultural industrial business that is using a product that nobody's been allowed to study for decades, mm-hmm. um, that also uses a lot of energy and can be kind of misunderstood by these different entities that are trying to regulate it. So sometimes they're trying to apply the same brush that they would to a different industry to cannabis, and then they make a misstep because they just don't understand. And they, in some ways, sometimes try to impede the industry to the point that the growers feel like they're gonna, their businesses are gonna fail because they're over-regulated, mm-hmm. even though there aren't that many regulations. It's like when regulations are made, they're made in a kind of a fashion that maybe doesn't get everybody um, understood. And at the
0: Resource Innovation Institute, are you helping to somehow you know fill that void legislation wise or are you working on some
1: studies yeah great question thank you um so we as a nonprofit try to be that non-partial third-party uh kind of mediator that can help the growers talk to these um entities that are trying to make regulations to that they are going to have to comply with. So for example, in the state of Massachusetts, we've been working with them to help adjust the regulations to be something that is still going to help the state achieve its climate action goals. They really don't want the cultivators to use so much energy that they miss their goals, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the cultivators didn't want to feel forced to grow with LED lighting. They said, hey, the energy regulations you made are so strict that we're going to have to use LED and we don't want to use LED. And that's a whole other story that we could talk about. Another podcast, all about mm-hmm. why, why growers are, are reticent to use LED lighting, but it's one of the major energy efficiency measures that they can do in their facilities to switch to LED instead of using these older fluorescent approaches that have been tried and true for a long time, but are more energy intensive.
0: Mm-hmm. But what's the difference, speaking of light, and in, in, oh. in a couple of words, because I, I really don't... What's yeah. the difference for them? What's the point yeah. of not changing?
1: And so you're you're raising the question Massachusetts had. They were like, we need to achieve these climate goals. Like, what's wrong with pushing the growers towards LED? And we said, hey, we understand LED is pretty much accepted by every other industry as it's good light. But growers have for a really long time used what's called high-intensity discharge, HID or high-pressure sodium, HPS lights. And they're a a type of fluorescent light. But just like you and I have switched to LED light bulbs in our house, and all of the the office buildings and any commercial building has pretty much LEDs everywhere because it costs less to operate, growers have stuck with these other lights because they feel it provides the right spectrum of light. And they also like that it puts out heat. I don't know like it's a long story but basically they're like it it's the right it's the perfect spectrum and we like that it we like that it puts out heat because I when I convert to LED then my rooms are gonna be too cold I mean there's there's lots of interesting conversations that come up but really it's about spectrum and so only recently LED lights have been produced by manufacturers that are trying to meet growers rather than just trying to offer a product to the market so they're Mm -hmm. like hey we actually thought about the spectrum that you say cannabis needs. So here we, we did research and case studies and we, we promised that this is going to grow cannabis. But that's why a lot of growers don't trust them because the first products they offered weren't very good and, and they, they kind of got, got burned by them. So anyway, that's yeah. your point about policy. We, tried to, we try to help states as well as countries um, if they're interested in our guidance have a policy framework that's going to meet growers where they are, but also develop some recommended practice for the industry that's going to help us not, you know, uh, degrade the environment while we try to support an industry.
0: Mm -hmm. So to kind of a balance the balance the balance.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've got to balance business with the environment. And this is supposed to be, this can be a plant that you cultivate pretty resource Efficiently um, using some good practices, but with climate change, we've had a lot of crops moving indoors. People wanting to grow food indoors, people wanting to grow just being able to control the environment. And so, what we're seeing is indoor growing can be very energy and just in general, just more intense than outdoor growing. And so, we need to be able to help that industry mm-hmm. uh, just like. It's a complicated topic, but um, there are a lot of utilities, like electric utilities, who help businesses by offering them energy efficiency money. And until recently, none of those utilities have been talking to growers. And so only now are we having these folks who have money to offer them to move to LED lighting, only now are the growers actually being contacted and invited to participate in these programs that previously helped out all these other businesses like hospitals and universities and things Mm -hmm. that were easy to convert to LED lighting right like yeah it's just a complicated business like I said so um, there is no certification system yet because we don't have enough data and once we have more data we can actually make some lines in the sand that says this is a good facility or business approach Mm -hmm. sustainable packaging approach, uh, maybe transportation, and then you can start making standards. And once there are standards that people have to comply with, then you can make a certification system to recognize leaders. But right now it's hard to recognize leaders because we don't have any regulations that are like a bottom level of compliance. And once, how do you recognize leaders if you don't have a floor? And we don't have a floor really yet because we don't have enough data to understand what is the baseline of compliance, what's a poor performer, and then what's really the point of your podcast, what is a sustainable cannabis business? How do we recognize one? We can't right now. Is it possible that
0: there is still some sort of stigma to the industry? That's why the growers are not uh, proactively approached by the uh, light uh, manufacturers or someone else. Do people... in you know businesses that can support the cannabis industry say oh no i'd rather not touch that subject because i don't want my reputation of my company to be associated with that
1: one absolutely totally i mean um in my experience working with a utility it's it's been challenging to uh, get past that stigma of donors and weed and, you know, all of these cultural associations that we have with cannabis. And I've done some work reminding folks that, you know, your grandparents may use cannabis to manage um, their health conditions. Like these are our customers and these are our friends and family. And so that's really hard to get beyond, but then you've got like much bigger utilities serving millions of people who they've got like, you know, PR people that want to make sure that that they don't get seen as a utility that does like uh, untraditional stuff. Um, so the, the thing about cannabis is we're out of the closet, but we're not yet like in the living room with everyone at mm-hmm. the table um, hanging out because people are still concerned about what will the people on Twitter think if they announce that they're helping growers. It's an interesting time, but finally i think we've cracked into the time where they're ready to see this industry as worthy of their attention because it could jeopardize the 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 goals that the state or the region may have for achieving maybe carbon neutrality or um or renewable energy or things like that you know they want to they want to stay on track and so bringing these people to the table is kind of unavoidable now because the business has gotten big enough that you can't ignore them. Like mm-hmm. some of the statistics you had when we were chatting earlier about, um, I don't know if you've seen like, you know, some of these cities have like 4% of their electricity use in Denver is, is from cannabis. Like that's a very widely quoted statistic. Um, and that makes it so the electricity utility cannot ignore them um, and they, they've got to help. But the stigma mm-hmm. does not end there. Um, I think is maybe gonna take generations to pass before it just becomes more ubiquitous. Um, For example, you know, kids growing up today are gonna see CBD products in the grocery aisle. They might see their friend's mom drinking a CBD soda after work instead of drinking a beer. So um, I think hopefully it'll change, but some of these industries, like the utility industry is so traditional these are companies that are sometimes 150 years old, so talking about cannabis is like, whoa, 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 like let's stick to our traditional commercial buildings here that we can, you know, it's easy to talk about a data center because there's no political ramifications about talking about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Speaking about the um, individual personal use, do you feel like consumers care where their cannabis was grown, whether it was grown indoors, outdoors, what packaging even was
1: used? I found a kind of like a roller coaster where it's like we're getting there, but it's not yet to a point where people, it's mainstream. Um, I think with the vaping Crisis that we had earlier this year with uh, there being um, adulterants in the vape cartridges. I don't know if you, or we basically in America um, in the United States had a incident with some of the oil, the vape, the vaporizer oil that has cannabis um, distillate in it had been adulterated with vitamin E oil, which is used to I think a thickening agent um, for it, but that caused people to die. Um, and so I think people all of a sudden started caring really a lot about what went into the vape oil. However, um, I think with, with the, the, the raw flour product, um, it's a little rare for people to care about where it was grown. I mean, only 10 years ago, people were buying it from their friend's friend who you wouldn't even know what the name of it was, like what type of cannabis you were smoking let alone where it came from. Um, and so now to know where it is from is is novel. Uh, so I've got some friends in markets that are much older. So like comparatively, Oregon's market is has been adult use for longer than markets out in the East Coast. And so my friend, for example, he, he cares about which grower grew it. And um, knowing the identity of the grower connects him to the region that it was grown in. Um, they, They care maybe more about whether it was grown organically or whether it used chemical fertilizers they don't want. Um, They might, it's sort of like this connoisseur weed sort of thing, but in general, um, folks in younger legal markets are are just more excited to have access. They don't really care about the origin of it. Um, They, for example, I was up in Canada, and you go to these stores, it's like this big corporate weed store. Um, It doesn't feel like you're buying it from a curated situation it's very much like come and get your weed get out of here um so it doesn't feel like you would care um it's not going to be like have a sustainability aisle or something like that but it could be something that the market starts to differentiate once the markets get older
0: i am following the course on brandon and um the the guy who delivers the course says you know when you're going to the um, to the shop to the bazaar you're not buying just cheese you're buying from a grandma that sells cheese and you like that grandma's smile or the the tone of her Mm -hmm. voice so you're not really buying the cheese you're buying the grandma Mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of you know Yes, is it possible that uh, experience, exactly, the uh, emotion behind it. So it's possible that uh, Brandon will come to um, cannabis industry as well, and you oh, will... it's,
1: it's, it's definitely here in the, in the older markets. Like if you go to Oregon, you'll see a much big differentiation between products, and people will be sort of explaining this experience that you're buying rather than the product itself. Um, like the apples of you know, mm-hmm. uh, like the apple experience rather than um just buying a computer. Uh, oh, um, some of them do like to tell you a story. Like I think craft beer is the is the best corollary I would give t- to cannabis. We're gonna have in in certain regions you already have craft cannabis. Like in Oregon, mm-hmm. they tell you this grandma story. Of, oh, it's this family and generations of growers. You know, we like live off the land like you know Mm -hmm. there's 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 things that people identify with that they want to buy that product because of that and um in newer markets folks don't care as much but the craft situation is going to happen there as much as it has with beer all across the country here in certain population centers especially i think Mm -hmm.
0: does the organic label uh reached cannabis industry what does it is there and if so um what does it take to be called organic uh
1: cannabis? That's a topic I don't know a ton about. I I know that because it's now recognized federally as a crop that it has to go through the same sort of protocols that any other organic product um regulated by the US Department of Agriculture um has to go through, but I wouldn't say that we have a recognized like green sticker like that we have on on lettuce. We haven't gotten that on cannabis products yet. And so more to come. I don't think that I know enough about it to speak on it. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think it's something that just like the others, we need more data. And what are the parameters to claim that something's organic? How do they comply? Um, So too young to to
0: be uh, to be labeled organic.
1: I think actually we might be in that perfect stage of greenwashing where everyone's claiming to be Mm -hmm. doing something. Someone's claiming to be organic and sustainable, but how? You don't know because there's no structure for them to follow. Yeah,
0: there is no way to prove to find out.
1: Yeah, or there is some way that you as a consumer aren't aware of whether it's legitimate or not. Speaking of the different public
0: policies that affect or are somehow involved with cannabis, do you think that that um, 2030 agenda of the United Nations On the sustainability goals can somehow be a you know a blueprint document that will push the climate concern climate and environmental concern of the industry
1: um great question i think that the the word blueprint was a great word um i think that these i've been hearing about and reading about these goals for a while from my work in other types of buildings and in other types of city planning and resiliency kind of ideas of how do we go forward. There's a lot of talk of 2030, right? Of what are we going to do by then? Um, so If we survive me- 2020. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, knock on wood. Um, so I see those goals as a great framework. They identify areas of focus and suggest some development of different pathways to achieving those goals. And some of those goals I was checking out um, relate to the Resource Innovation Institute and kind of what we're trying to provide for this industry. So Goal number nine is about creating industry innovation and infrastructure that um, can be used, for example, cannabis used for building construction and carbon sequestration. But that goal didn't really address the resource consumption required to produce those products, to produce cannabis. Um, And another of the goals, responsible consumption and production, right? That's that's, When I read that, I was like, that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? Um, Your podcast, seems to be thinking about how do you be a responsible consumer in these different industries and understand them? And then from our side, how do we help the people producing this particular product to be sustainable? So our two arms of uh, our organization on the education side, we try to make best practices. So we have these best practices guides on uh, cannabis cultivation. So one of them's focused on LED lighting. The other one's focused on HVAC, so heating and cooling and ventilating and dehumidifying the environments required for cannabis and basically diving into all the systems that are required. So check them out if you're interested in that question about lighting and what's the difference between LED and the others, that would be a place to look. And so that's where we're trying to provide these tools out there for cannabis cultivators and their teams to understand the choices they have and, and what's good and going to affect the environment the least and still give them a good product. And then we have this resource benchmarking tool called the Cannabis Power Score, which is the uh, platform that allows for cultivators to benchmark their energy, water, waste, and and eventually we're adding greenhouse gas emissions impacts and understand, okay, with, with my production process as it is today, what am I doing to the environment? And how does that affect my operational costs? And then um, and then, how might I change it using these best practices I now know about? How might I change that to reduce my impact? So um, I think that the sustainable development goals can be achieved for cannabis. I think it's really cool how they've outlined how they all kind of overlap and how many people can be affected by this industry, really. Um, if we do it in a thoughtful way and set up the industry with some sort of Real tools to achieve these goals, then I think we're going to do well. If we sort of continue to let it be a Wild West and not try to understand the industry because it's got a stigma and because it's this complicated and it's hard to deal with plants in buildings, plants in buildings is a weird idea. We haven't really done it a lot before.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I think we can, uh, I think that we can achieve a, I don't know if we'll be able to achieve a carbon neutral cannabis industry by 2030. I think that's a hard goal for any industry to achieve. But I think that this is a group of individuals who could be really motivated to to try and be sustainable because of the history of this plant as a, um, it's supposed to be a plant that's good for the environment. It's not supposed to be something that's known as detracting from the environment. Um, so with, I think branding wise, there's going to be a lot of businesses that want to do sustainable things going forward to set themselves apart in the market.
0: Mm-hmm. I am curious. You you got me questioning. Do you expect any change in the industry, both rise or decline in the consumption, given the, the upcoming serious crisis brought mm-hmm. by coronavirus? And the upcoming recession,
1: economical um, problems, it's a really, it's, it's a really interesting uh, conundrum that we're in. Um, you know, you're asking a question that my, my leadership and my organization and I are talking about right now. What do we think it means? Um, it's really hard to tell not knowing, for example, how the crisis is going to continue to unfold in the United States and in the rest of the world. Um, I think that it's been interesting to watch California, for example, in their response to the crisis. They chose to designate dispensaries of cannabis as uh, emergency or essential. Mm-hmm. So many businesses were forced to close, but dispensaries were considered essential, along with liquor stores. And so it's sort of interesting, um, the things that society needs, even in a time of deep crisis. And so it'll be, um, it's really hard to say whether we're going to see a collapse of certain sectors. For example, in certain regions, we might see some businesses just go completely under, but also I'm not sure um, if they will be affected because uh, some of these cultivators have small businesses. There's not that many people. They're not not in close quarters with each other like manufacturing, where Mm -hmm. maybe they're not going to be forced to shut down. And I, for one, know that there's no loss of demand. People are stuck in their houses and they're They're coping with a lot of feelings, (laughs) like, and so some of them are interested in the, the more psychoactive side of cannabis right now. Um, So we might see an increase in product demand in certain parts of the market because people are grappling with, with a change that is it's so unprecedented. Yeah, it's unprecedented and uncertain to the point that people are are, perhaps still going to prioritize it as something they spend money on.
0: Mm-hmm. Something I read today: My anxiety has anxiety.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sometimes feels like that. It feels like an out of body experience sometimes. Like, am I watching a movie of myself? Like, going when, when am this?
0: I gonna wake up? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So I try to think that our businesses in general will will be resilient enough to survive. But this industry is very young, so I imagine we'll see a lot of turnover. Maybe that's probably the easiest thing to say. We're probably going to see a lot of churn. Um, some things will will change because of of this for sure. And mm-hmm. Maybe silver lining. Maybe maybe there will be some some big changes that happen in the ways of sustainability in relation to industry. Maybe we will change. That's,
0: that's uh, actually what I am very interested in. Do you think we're gonna become globally as a as a human race more mindful of our own resources of um, sustainable use
1: of them and so on? I hope so. I hope that we don't um, you know, figure this out and then down the road just continue to behave business as usual. Like it's been really uh, interesting to me as working in energy efficiency and ultimately caring about reducing carbon emissions in this world to see the, just the amount of emissions that have been avoided by all of these industrial things shutting down. And so it makes me think about how insignificant some of the work that I've done is compared to just shutting down parts of China and the U.S. for several days at a time. Um, I wonder if, for example, before the coronavirus started to take over the news cycles here. We weren't focused on climate change I mean we we would talk about it every once in a while when a when a scary scientific report would come out, but then our president would do something uh, that would be newsworthy or something, and uh, they would lose lose focus and so I just pessimistic side of me says that after this is done, I don't think we should expect some of the folks in leadership to change. I think that some of those folks may just have to stop being in leadership for us to ever change the way that we're doing things. Um, And I think a new generation of leaders has to come out and it might be too late. Like, I don't know, like, I don't want to be too pessimistic, but some industries seem like they've gone too far Um, and, and we don't have a lot of time. So maybe this is a wake up call that'll get us to think about climate change, but I'm not sure if resiliency in relation to a public health crisis is going to be connected enough to sustainability and, and like resource planning that I'm not sure if we're going to get this new leaf that I hope for. I hope so. I have hope. I am also hoping
0: for a, a transformation that will clean up um, a lot of unnecessary bullshit in our minds. I I'd call it this way. hmm Okay, as we're approaching the end of our interview, um, one last question that I ask everyone. One piece of advice from you uh, for the listeners of Sustainability
1: Explored. So as you probably gathered in the short time that we've talked, there's a lot of terminology. Like we talked about the difference between THC and CBD and LED and HPS. There's all these acronyms um, and it can be kind of confounding to understand how cannabis... Affects the environment, how cultivation is done, and and how the energy and resources are impacted by by those activities. So, if you want to know more about, just literally for free, just as a person who wants to know about growing, or just as a person interested in business and where this market is going, um, and how it can be more sustainable, check it up. Check us out at resourceinnovation.org. We've got an Instagram at resourceinnovation and at Twitter. RI Institute, so RII, but no fourth I. So I. I'm gonna have to leave. RI lead. Institute, yeah, it's, it's, it cracks me up, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, all this to say we're a nonprofit, so we're not a business, we're, we're really just trying to help this industry understand how to, to not impact the environment as much and to, to say how sustainable is A over B. So um, thank you so much for inviting me. And I I hope that you learned a bit about cannabis and about how um, there's just a lot of work to be done to gather more data and understand this really interesting uh, part of the businesses out there.
0: Cool, thank you very much Gretchen for being here with me today. And I wish you all the best of success with the Resource Innovation Institute and all the great work you do together. Thank you very much. Ciao, ciao. Thanks. Thanks so
1: much.
0: At the end, I would just like to add a couple of words on how cannabis aligns with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I found a very interesting study and I would like to share the the most, you know, the, the juiciest parts of it with you. So because of its characteristics, widespread cultivation and use, and the diversity of its applications the cannabis sativa so the latin name of the plant of the cannabis and related policies directly pertain to at least 64 of the 169 targets among 15 out of the 17 goals of the United Nations 2030 agenda for sustainable development adopted by a consensus of uh, all member states of the UN in 2015 i'm sure Everyone uh, of my listeners already knows what the Sustainable Development Goals are. This sustainable address of cannabis and cannabis policy echoes 75 of the 104 operational recommendations of another document adopted by Global Consensus one year later, the outcome document of the 30th special session of the UN General Assembly, on the world drug situation, which noted that, and I quote, efforts to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals and to effectively address the world drug problem are complementary and mutually reinforcing. Surprisingly, this plant affects the Sustainable Development Goals both positively and negatively, and policies play a major role in the impact of cannabis on our societies. The non-psychoactivity-related use of the cannabis sativa plant, called hemp, as you have learned during the podcast from Gretchen, or industrial hemp or industrial cannabis in this context, uh, have accompanied humankind over centuries, in particular for the provision of food from seed, so here we are talking about the goal number one and two, and through the numerous products derived from its fiber, among which efficient building materials can be locally sourced and produced. Uh, Here we are referring to the goals number 9 and 11. More recently the plant has continued to be explored for the soil cleaning property of its roots contributing to clean water and oceans which leads us to the goal number 13. The significant biomass produced by the stems of cannabis has revealed itself to be both a promising source of energy, goal number seven, and a renewable source of recyclable vegetal plastic, goal number 15. Finally, I'd like to say what I usually say at the end of my every episode. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, review, and rate on the platform you're listening on. We are now available on more than 40 platforms. So, choose your favorite, subscribe, and just don't miss the episodes on Thursdays. Um, This will help other people discover the podcast and learn something new about sustainability. I'm trying to diversify the guest guest stream to give you the, the best of sustainability from every industry I can possibly reach. If you have any questions to me or to Gretchen, Please reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me by my name that you will see, and I hope you see it on the podcast as well, Anna Chashina. For now, thank you for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, take care, stay tuned, stay sustainable, strong, and most
1: importantly, stay home.